Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, all square against Leicester, we look ahead to the final game of the season. There's the latest on the never-tedious takeover and a quiz available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we are then, Leicester, building up toward the final game of the season for the Chelsea men's team. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, on board today alongside two of the Athletics' Chelsea experts. Simon Johnson's here. Good morning, everyone. Bright and breezy as ever, as is Liam Toomey. Hi, Liam. (laughs) It's almost over. (laughs) I think that's very much the feeling amongst Blues supporters this week. Uh, We'll get to Leicester, not literally soon, but let's find out what's happened with the takeover since our Monday show. So in classic SOC style, mere moments after producer Lucy hit publish on Monday's show, the BBC reported that the takeover was at risk of falling apart due to a lack of consensus within the club over the proceeds of any sale. A senior white horse... A senior Whitehorse? A senior Whitehall source revealed there was now serious concern that Roman Abramovich was willing to let Chelsea go under over an alleged refusal to a sales structure that gives ministers confidence the proceeds would go to a good cause. Um, I mangle that statement, but you, you get the point, I suppose. Um, so, Liam, this is all about the charitable foundation where, where the proceeds of the sale were supposed to go. Um, how's the story moved on since Monday? Are we, are we thinking it's been smoothed over and a resolution will be found you might be better off asking a white horse um (laughs) yeah it's uh i mean i mean the latest reports were that a legal resolution has been found between the government and chelsea about what happens to that 1.6 billion i i honestly i i find this story incredibly difficult to report on probably the most difficult story i've ever reported on because feels like none of the principal parties involved can be relied upon to give you the actual truth of what's happening. Um, There's so much sort of, I mean, there's so much hostility and so little trust between the parties anyway, particularly when you're talking about the UK government and Abramovich, given everything that's happened. Um, And there's an awful lot of self-interest in some of these briefings. You know, it's very clear that Anything that comes out of the government is is very much get a move on Chelsea, and and it has to, kind of has to be viewed within that prism. But, you know, at the at the bottom of it all, um, my instinct is still that everything will be fine. Um, Todd Bowley certainly thinks so. You know, he's he's been very visible around Chelsea the last week or so, going to lots of games going to Cobham, meeting with players and staff. He's acting like the new Chelsea owner. He's acting like we are at the the sort of 99% stage of this. And I, th- I think what, you know, the, the only issue that is even remotely a problem at this stage is 
is that 1.6 billion debt and what happens to it and whether it can be written off and what bank account it goes into before it's frozen and all this sort of thing. And there have been, from the Abramovich side, seemingly more details about what this foundation at least will look like and, and who is who is running it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just emerged in the last few days that former UNICEF executive director Mike Penrose is the guy who's apparently putting this charitable foundation together, which is, you know, maybe a little bit more reassurance to the parties in this process that this foundation actually exists. Because when Abramovich first started talking about it, there was very, you know, pie in the sky, no real detail to the, to the plan. So the idea that there are now names attached can only help, I'm sure. Um, but in terms of the actual takeover, it's, you know, Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital will come on to them and, and, and the other investors will be the next owners of Chelsea. It's just a matter of time. Simon, is it a bit simplistic to say, can you not just get the actual sale done and then we'll worry about where the money goes afterwards so that, you know, Chelsea can get on with their futures and, and everybody can move forward? Or, or is, is that a bit irresponsible given the size of the money and where it's supposed to be going? You could argue it's a bit of both, really. Uh, I mean, it is easy for us to say, isn't it? Oh, you know, just 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 sort it out. Takeover is always complicated, but this one is obviously got much more serious issues lurking in the background. Part of me actually wants to say, by the way, we all know that this is going to be overtaken by the time the podcast comes out. There's going to be some <laughs> seismic statement saying, "Oh, there's either another another." problem or it's all done and please welcome Jim Ratcliffe new owner of Chelsea Football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we'll have to do we'll have to re-record this uh, later but I mean it is, it is a complex issue but you talk to some people and they're just like look fundamentally just put the money in you can freeze it and then you can decide what happens to it so it, it does there's a lot of politics involved people want to make themselves look very important and it's, it is a very serious issue they have to make sure that the money does go to the right place but it does seem like if you get the money you park it in a bank account you freeze it and then you're in control anyway um but obviously there's a lot of suspicion about people's motives going on here uh, meanwhile, Liam and Matt Slater teamed up for a joint read on The Athletic on Clear Lake Capital. So they're the private equity firm who are providing most of the finance for the takeover. Uh, Liam, as pointed out in the piece, y y you mentioned earlier, Todd Bowley has been a, a very visible presence. Obviously, he's the figurehead of the group, but it's not just going to be him making the key decisions as relates to Chelsea Football Club as and when the takeover is complete. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, it's it's only natural that Clear Lake, given the scale of their financial investment um, in Chelsea, will have a big say over what direction the club takes. And it's hard to know how Chelsea fans should feel about that um, because this is a private equity firm and US private equity typically, I'm told, I'm told all of this stuff because I don't know about the world of private equity, um, operates on sort of like a five, seven year sometimes 10 year time horizon, which is, you know, put your money in, ideally watch it appreciate in value and then get it out one way or the other, sell up or, or, or sell, sell the asset. Um, so we, we don't know what Clear Lake's plan is at Chelsea. They've, they've said nothing. Um, and, and we asked them 
we sent them a load of questions in the course of writing that story, Matt and I, and, and, and we're told basically we're not commenting until everything's completed. So hopefully once this is actually fully completed, we will get some, some clarity on what Clear Lake's involvement is and what their aspirations are because they've never been involved in football before. But you, you have you have private equity firms involved in quite big football clubs all over Europe, um, but it's rare to see a shareholding as big as Clear Lakes and it wouldn't actually be allowed in US sport. Um, European football is just a less regulated environment. So we'll see is the, <laughs> is the answer really, but I, I would imagine that they... You know, I can only imagine that they're going to have a big say in, in what Chelsea do from here on out. So it's not just going to be Bowley making the decisions then, Simon, but but several people. Would that mean there's any room, in your opinion, for Bruce Buck to still be involved beyond anything other than a kind of transitional role? We'll see. That's, that's all we can say at this juncture. You know, we, we, we don't know um, officially. I think I think there's definitely been very strong reporting and suggestions that both him and, and Marina Graniskaya will stay. Um, and that's been part of the negotiation. Bruce Barker's obviously got a lot of influence in a lot of important places. So you can understand why, as a, as a new new owner, that you'd want, at the very least, someone around to help with the transition of from one era to another. Um, you know someone that can make all those introductions and, and represent the club on, on certain board matters and Premier League matters, etc. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, if he sticks around for, for a while yet. Uh, well, Todd Bowley was at Stamford Bridge on Thursday night for the game against Leicester, so we'll talk about that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Good ball. Rhys James clipping it. Alonso! Boom! Qualities! Wing back to wing back! Decisive with a bit of urgency, and that familiar left boot levels it up. We allow nothing and we got punished, and on the other hand, we create and create and, and, and don't take what we deserve. It's a, like a bit of broken record, but it's like this again today. At one all between Chelsea and Leicester City, then a game that very much comes into the category of also on Thursday night. Uh, the game wasn't shown on TV here in the UK, but luckily Liam and Simon were there. Uh, oh, it sounds like, Liam, that, that we missed a repeat of basically what we've seen a lot throughout the season. This could have been the season highlights distilled into 90 minutes. Yeah, it was a very meh game. Um, Chelsea started it asleep conceded a terrible goal, albeit 
great finish from James Madison. That was pretty much the only time Thomas Tuchel looked super invested emotionally in what was happening because he was just standing with his arms outstretched towards Marcus Alonso and Antonio Rudiger who just left the ball for each other um, and allowed Leicester to get the ball to Madison. It was the kind of ridiculous defensive um, gaffe that Chelsea have been making on a pretty regular basis since the March international break. But they credit to them, they did actually respond well. They pinned Leicester back, um, put a load of pressure on. Reese James was playing more in central midfield than at right wing back for a lot of the game, which was quite interesting. He seemed to he seemed to almost have a free role for, for most of the match. Um and final in the sort of final stages. Well it, I mean he set he set up the equalizer brilliantly, getting his pitching wedge out, finding Marcus Alonso at the back post. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if like Todd Bowley, you know, one of the first things he says to Thomas Tuchel is we should probably uh, like give Marcus Alonso a five-year contract and play this guy up front because he's watched two home games and Alonso scored two scorching volleys in each one. But yeah, James was really the driving force of everything Chelsea did well. Um, and Tuchel eventually leaned into that fact by basically putting him on the left of the front three for the final 20 minutes as Chelsea pushed for a winner. It didn't come, of course, because Chelsea don't win at home anymore. We all know that. But it was enough, wasn't it? And I think, um, yeah, at the end of the game, the fans were just happy third secured. There's no way Spurs can go past them now, which I think is important from a from a bragging rights perspective. Um, and the players are just pretty relieved that it's all over. And now the Watford game just becomes about saying farewell to players who, who are or might be leaving. And potentially get actually giving some minutes to some academy boys because it was it was a bit it was a little bit of a um, surprise and not not an altogether pleasant one that no one even made the bench, not even ahead of um, Kennedy who's played seventy minutes in four months and is clearly not trusted. Uh, listen to the enthusiasm for this game just seeping into your ears. I'm sure, Simon. <laughs> on on that point about the academy players, I thought it was strange too. Is there any chance that they they're just done for the season? You know, because obviously they're not in training with their groups now because their seasons are finished. So I just wondered if perhaps they've been told, "No, go on holiday. Your season's finished now." Because I can't think of another reason why a Vale, a Hall, or or somebody else wouldn't just be put on the bench at least for for last night or for Sunday. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a few players um, sort of been sort of training still. Um, perhaps they're still also enjoying the win over Tottenham. But um, it is a shame they haven't been involved. Perhaps Tuchel wants to make sure that they try and get the home form, you know, end on a high, wanting to get across the line, secure third spot. He, he did make, he did really reference the finishing third as part of his post-match duties, which I thought was quite significant. It showed that he actually did care about about finishing third. I don't blame him because Chelsea been in the top three basically all season. It, it would have been it, it's a minor sort of downer, especially compared with all the other setbacks, but you understand why it would look bad to finish fourth after the season they've had. But I I, I would be surprised if not one or two, at least one or two aren't at least on the bench on Sunday. And it would it would send out a really bad message having brought in the likes of Harvey Vale, Lewis. Hall 
um, earlier in the season, used them in the cups and stuff to um, to sort of end on a run of get, of months of of them not being involved. I think that sends a bad message to them and the academy, especially when some of these guys are thinking about their futures. You know, they've got one year, perhaps one year left on their contracts, haven't been able to negotiate. For example, Harvey Vale hasn't been able to negotiate for a while now um, because of the sanctions. So it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him, for him to feature in some shape or form. Well, somebody who did feature against Leicester was N'Golo Kante, the former Leicester player, of course. Uh, Liam's post-match piece for The Athletic is all about him. Thomas Ducal describes him as Chelsea's Salah slash De Bruyne, i.e. the key player. But as you point out in, in the piece, Liam, his, his availability has dwindled this season, kind of similarly to the way it did in, in Frank Lampard's first season, really. But it, it's kind of diminishing returns at this point with Kante, isn't it? Well, first of all, I'm glad I asked Tuchel about it in his post-match press conference because it ended up being the story of the press conference. And you never know that when you're going to ask a question, but his response was an absolute corker. He went far stronger than I thought he would, you know, saying that he's our key, key, key player. He kept repeating that and and comparing him to just about every world-class player he, he, he could think of at the time. Um I think he made his his feelings pretty clear about how important he still sees Kante as being to this team. And and when you when you cast your mind back to what he did in those first six months under Tuchel, how important he was to that system that Tuchel built, and and how decisive he ultimately was at the sharp end of the Champions League, it's easy to see why. Um, but it this season has been a regression in terms of his health back to the Nadir, which was um, Lampard's full season. You know, Lamp- Lampard really paid the price for Kante playing that Europa League final with a with a badly hurt knee and, and playing magnificently, but um, obviously not being not being right. And it now just seems that every time it's not one big problem. Every time he starts to get a little bit of rhythm, as Tuchel said, he, he gets another little setback. Um, and because of that, I think even when he has played this season, he's not been generally up to his very best level. He's been making uncharacteristic mistakes. I remember one against Manchester United at Old Trafford that led to the equaliser. He made obviously two mistakes that Real Madrid ruthlessly punished at the Bernabeu to knock Chelsea out of the Champions League. So he's not been quite the positive force that he was early on. Um, but it's it's more the fact that he just isn't on the pitch enough. And that becomes an even more fraught conversation when you're looking at his contract situation. You know, he's, he's got one year left this summer. He's one of Chelsea's top earners, almost 300 grand a week. What do you do? Like Tuchel's made it pretty clear with that, with that answer that he still sees Kante as absolutely vital to this team. But, if you're a new, more business-minded Chelsea ownership, are you really going to sanction a, a a new contract for a 31-year-old who can't stay on the pitch, um, no matter how great he is? So that that's a really complicated one. And then if you don't, how much would it cost to replace him or even approximate his impact? Uh, so I, I think it's 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 really really difficult. That's what the the thrust of the piece was about. But it's it's clear that Tuchel 
is still absolutely in love with Kante as a player and wishes he had more of him. Right, Simon, of course, you'd have binned him off years ago. Regular listeners, well aware of your long-running campaign to, to oust him from the Chelsea midfield. Um, presumably, you'd be making the same decision this summer if uh, if you were Todd Bowley. Or is, is there a case to say, you know, maybe give him an extra year and, and get one more year out of him, but on the understanding that he might not play every week? I feel like I should talk about this piece that I wrote that, that <laughs> continues to get spun like as in what I wrote because I basically wrote this very same question uh, when I wrote this piece a couple of years ago um, which was he's playing less you've got a decision to make if an offer comes in also he had a decision to make at that point is as in if Real Madrid who was sniffing around him at the time Chelsea didn't look like they were capable of winning a Champions League. Um, would would he would he also sort of leave for a fresh challenge to try and win that Champions League? Of course, he ends up staying anyway and and helping Chelsea win that Champions League. But we're back in that same scenario. Um, what I would say though is that the difference between when I wrote the piece and and now that Liam's written the piece is that Angolo's form is far worse when he is playing. So I think you have to take that into account. If a bid comes in, and is N'Golo Conte happy at Chelsea? Again, you sort of have to ask that question. Someone someone did tell me that he, even N'Golo's not been the happiest around the camp for one reason or another. It could be, you know, because of his issues and naturally he's a bit down because he's not playing as much as he, he used to. Um, it's a big call to give give Conte another contract, especially if another club comes in. But in saying all that, if you look at this squad, if you ask how many world class players they have in it, you know he is. This is why Tuchel was talking about him um, in in answer to Liam's question so so positively. He is the first name you think of in terms of a world-class player. That's a big call to lose him. So I've basically not answered your question, Matt, because <laughs> it, 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 because it is a really, it's a really difficult call because what can Chelsea afford for this to continue to only get sort of 40% of games? Is that enough? If someone comes in with a 50, 60 million pound offer, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. But that's not me saying I want him to leave. I hasten to add. The good news about the ageing process, Simon, is if, if you keep saying he needs to be sold, one day you'll be right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. But, you know, I, I just... It's a tough It's a tough one. It really is a tough one. And it, I've actually found it quite sad watching him this season. Because the last thing you want is to watch a great play. You know... The old adage, isn't it? The, the sort of the old boxer, you know, he, he should have hung up his gloves a bit earlier. It's not quite the same, obviously, but it would be quite sad to see sort of he, he already sort of feeling that sentiment sometimes when he has a bad game, the sort of groans from and people sort of starting to criticise him. It would be quite sad to see him sort of end on a negative. Uh, well, Chelsea should have beaten Leicester. They had 68% possession, 19 shots, seven on target. Leicester only had one on target. Uh, that was the goal. But Chelsea will finish third, barring an 18-goal swing on the last day 
of the season. At least there was some happiness in the game. That was when Thomas Tuchel saw the banner that was unveiled in his honour before the match. Okay, next we'll have a quick look ahead to Sunday's season finale against Watford. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So the Blues bring the curtain down on their season with a visit of relegated Watford to the bridge on Sunday. Chelsea already guaranteed a place in next season's Champions League and they will finish third, barring a mathematical miracle. Uh, Absolutely nothing on this game for either side, essentially. But as you alluded to, Liam, it's um, it's farewell time for, for some of the players. Rudiger and Christensen, obviously, we know of. Uh, we, we get the impression that maybe Marcos Alonso too. And, and I guess we'll get a, a good, clear signal about Cesar Azpilicueta's intentions at, at full time. You know, I'm thinking Ashley Cole crying on the pitch 2014 kind of moment. There, there might be a hint there as to, as to where he's heading next season or not. Don't know. It feels like a kind of unique Chelsea tradition to get to the final day of the season and to have like an aging club legend who doesn't know for sure whether he's staying or leaving, getting serenaded by the crowd. Didn't that? I mean, I think that must have happened more than once with John Terry towards the end. Paolo Um, Ferreira? Did he know he was leaving? That was a big hoopla one season. I seem to remember. I'm not sure, but he was barely playing at the end, was he? So it wasn't quite, wasn't quite the same. But yeah. as Piliqueta, you know, the, the situation hasn't really changed in the last couple of months. He he wants a meeting with the new ownership. And so that's all contingent on on this process all being completed and sorted out and then and then everyone can figure out exactly where they are. But um I'm sure he'll show his appreciation for the fans regardless. And they will absolutely show their appreciation for him. Um because if it is the last time he's at Stamford Bridge as a Chelsea player, it's you have to pay tribute to the incredible career he's had um, and the incredible service that he's given to Chelsea in so many different positions, been part of so many 
different winning teams, maturing into I think a genuinely a genuinely good captain. You know, obviously Chelsea have been spoiled with great leaders. Some who wore the, the armband, some who some who didn't in the Abramovich era, and maybe they wouldn't put Aspilicueta quite quite in that top bracket. But I think he's been a good captain, who's been, who's been in a a big part of some really big highs, um, certainly more highs than lows. So yeah, be nice. I think it, it would be nice for fans to really show the love for him, um, and there may be that you know there may be others in around the squad who are. Not necessarily um, on the way out in terms of contractual situations, but will one way or the other be looking to get out this summer? And maybe you're looking at the attacking end of the pitch. Um, I think I think it could be the last time Chelsea fans see a few of these forwards as well. And it's probably not harsh to say, Simon, that it won't exactly be a heartbreaking and sorrowful goodbye. You know, you had Thomas Tuchel kind of, in a not very veiled way, criticising the, the attackers in, in the Leicester game. They might be feeling amongst some of the porters, supporters that some of these guys have had more than enough opportunity to establish themselves as Chelsea first choice attacking players and, and haven't taken it. So it, it does feel like that it is time for a refresh of the squad, maybe fairly generally across the pitch, but but particularly in attacking areas. Yeah, there's only so much money to go around. I mean, it, it feels like massive surgery is required in in pretty much every department right now. But that, but then that's also partly because the season's ending on such a low. One of the things that needs refreshing is just everybody's sort of mojo, for want of a better phrase. Everyone just looks fed up. And probably including the reporters that cover the game <laughs> and the supporters. I mean, it's just, everyone's just like, okay, enough already. Let's just go on our summer holidays, start again. Um, even if some of these forward players want to leave, there's no guarantee someone's going to buy them or, or pay the money for them. Um, so they can't just sort of assume that that's it, that we can force a, force a move out of Chelsea. And the deal's got to be right for everybody. Um, so they may. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these players that that aren't entirely chuffed and haven't been chuffed for a while will be back in pre-season, and 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 you you'll sort of have the the uh, the issues of unhappy players in the squad rumbling through the transfer window. Um, but really, I think you know players should um, take responsibility for their own performances. You can blame the coach for perhaps not playing a, as an attacking kind of football as much as you want. But a lot of these players have also underperformed, under not delivered and missed key chances. You know, you think back to this season, you go, how many games were like the Leicester game where, and that's why I tweeted about it, feeling like you've watched the same game at home for six months, where the opposition the basically scored from their one chance and Chelsea have had 20 shots on goal. It's a... It's a weekly occurrence, um, and that's another reason why we all want a break, to be honest, because we're sort of <laughs> fed up of living Groundhog Day. Um, speaking of goodbyes, Antonio Rudiger has just published a goodbye Chelsea piece on the Players' Tribune, and it's not entirely a soft focus looking back at my childhood piece that you often get on the Players' Tribune. There's a paragraph towards the bottom uh, which is which got a little bit more of an edge to it. Um, 
Unfortunately, my contract negotiations had already started to get difficult last fall. Does would Rudiger say last fall? Yeah, that sounds very American, doesn't it? Yeah. Business is business, but when you don't hear any news from the club from August to January, the situation becomes complicated. After the first offer, there was a long gap of just nothing. We're not robots, you know. You cannot wait for months with so much uncertainty about your future. Obviously, no one saw the sanctions coming, but in the end, other big clubs were showing interest and I had to make a decision. I will leave it at that because business aside, I have nothing bad to say about this club. Mm, Pointed. Uh, Yeah, it also says there is hatred in the football world for sure. That's a fact. I've experienced the worst of it, but there's also a lot of joy too. At Chelsea, I experienced both extremes. Crikey. Uh, anyway, he's off. It'll be his final game. I'm sure he'll get a lovely round of applause uh, too. Uh, Watford, absolutely atrocious. Chelsea have won all five meetings with the Hornets since that infamous capitulation at Vicarage Road under Sarri. I mean, this has arguably been the most miserable pod we've ever done, Simon. Uh, from the rookery end, the Watford FC podcast, which uh, the Athletic Watford reporters often feature on will be even more miserable. I mean, they have been absolutely abysmal this season. So, as a chance for Chelsea to go out on a high here because they're not going to be bringing much in terms of opposition based on what we've seen in the last few weeks and months. If Chelsea don't win this game, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> it will I, I have absolutely should... no bearing on the table, yeah. <laughs> no, I just think what we should all do is a forfeit. <laughs> <laughs> we? It's not our fault. Uh, Thomas Tuchel should come on the podcast and, and give us yeah a yeah and explain himself. <laughs> he should have to do a quiz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, honestly, I mean, I'm I'm going and I'll be very cross. <laughs> <laughs> no, because this really, honestly, it's, it's, you sort of think right. It should be like a four-five nil job, and I rarely say that. But what for? The just like. Even Roy Hodgson can sort them out defensively. They are just, yeah, depressingly bad. Um, and swap, you know, the usual managerial roundabout, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just, I, I feel, my brother actually, he's got a season ticket with his two boys, I think. Yeah, no wonder he hasn't been picking up the phone lately. <laughs> You should probably ask for a refund on that. Well, it's uh, it's a four o'clock kickoff, as are all the games on the final day of the Premier League season on Sunday. Okay, we're going to do a quiz next. Right, last day's the theme. Three questions per contestant. Liam, you're up first. Uh, What was the attendance at Villa Park for Chelsea's final league game of last season? A 2-1 defeat to Aston Villa. (laughs) What the um, all right, well, I've been to Villa Park. I think their capacity's about 30, 35,000-ish. Um, I'm going to say 32,000. I think the capacity's about 45,000, but the attendance on this day was 10,000 because there were still COVID restrictions oh, okay. in place. Uh, Simon, oh, we got an early I boost there. offered... I was oh, no, you weren't, were you? Sorry. Well, uh, you've got to, it. to be fair, I was thinking, because I was there, mm. uh, The cult, by the way, a more interesting question would have been, what was the temperature? Because that was the coldest final day game I've ever been to. There's a picture of me, you know, you guys have seen the hat. Uh, hat, scarf, coat, it was 
I almost swore then. It was rather chilly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking 9,000. I would have been, yeah. Okay, anyway. all right. That makes me I feel better. I wouldn't have got it anyway. You were yeah. wrong anyway. It was that cold. It makes you wonder why those Villa security guards were so insistent on eating their ice creams with raspberry sauce on that, that delayed the Chelsea <laughs> coach from getting into the stadium. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, right, Simon, here's your first question. Jesper Gronkjaer scored that famous winning goal against Liverpool on the last day of the 0203 campaign, but against whom did he score the only goal of the game against on the last day of the following season? <laughs> Thanks to our friends at Soccer Base for helping me source this question. 2034, so it was... No, 2023, so 2034... Uh, Ranieri's last game. Uh, Leicester. It's good, but it's not right. Can you pinch it, Liam? Um, hang on. He gets to pinch it. I what? know, but I, only because you, you you gave away that you wouldn't have got it right anyway. <laughs> Sunderland. <laughs> Sunderland's incorrect anyway. It was Leeds. So uh, that's all fine. Nil-nil after one question. Uh, Liam, you're up next. Chelsea beat Liverpool 2-1 on the final day of the 03 season, as we've just mentioned, to qualify for the Champions League in a game now rather quaintly dubbed the £20 million match by the BBC. Um, Which player was sent off in stoppage time? Chelsea versus Liverpool. Somebody saw red. As the clock ticked past 90. I'd like to think it was uh, Jamie Carragher after Gianfranco Zola stole his soul, but I don't think that was the. <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. Um, Stefan on show. Oh, it's a good guess, but it's not right. Would you like to steal it, Simon? It's absolute brutal, disgraceful. Even worse than Dan James on Kovacic. Gerard on Graham Rousseau. Correct. Stephen Gerard was the answer. Uh, 1-0 to Simon. OK, so your second question, Simon. Who were the opposition in Maurizio Sarri's final Premier League game as Chelsea coach? I've deleted the Sarri season. Uh, <laughs> the final league. Obviously, Arsenal Open League... New York things I can remember the end of the season for the the stupid friendly and the Europa League final, but I don't remember the last league game. Uh Watford. Watford's incorrect. Can you remember Liam? I mean I can't remember, I can guess. <laughs> Go on. Then. Uh, West Ham. It was a nil-nil draw away at Leicester City. Uh, I can it always seems to be Leicester game. Oh, yeah. of course, it was um, Hazard's last league game. Yeah, yeah. I was, and I remember talking to him post-match. Oh, <laughs> all right. You still won the up, Simon. Post. Yeah. Um, so here's your final question, Liam. Chelsea won the Premier League title on the final day of the 2009-10 season by hammering Wigan eight-nil at the Bridge. Didier Drogba got a hat trick in the game, but which player scored a brace? I think it's either Nicholas Anelka or Frank Lampard. Um, Bit of beef early doors when Lampard took a penalty, didn't he, when Drogba wanted it because he was going for the golden boot. Drogba sulked until half-time and Mm. then scored a hat-trick in the second half. Mm. 
I'm going to go with Anelka. Anelka is absolutely correct. Well done, you. So it's 1-1. One, one. Uh, this puts a lot of pressure on the final question Ooh. of this week's quiz. Uh, <laughs> this is a doozy, I think, in, in, in my oh, humble brilliant. opinion. Uh, Chelsea beat Sheffield United 3-2 at Stamford Bridge on the last day of the 93-94 season to relegate the Blades. Up front for the visitors that day was the brother of a striker who would go on to play for Chelsea. The United player in question was also a striker. Name him. <laughs> Are you taking the... <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure I fully understood the question. OK, so somebody played up front for Sheffield United. His brother would later go on to play for Chelsea. So who was the Sheffield United player? Mm. I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I'm thinking this. It's happening. (laughs) All I could... Yeah, I just... I just don't know. Uh, Funny enough. (laughs) All right. Well, Liam, you have a guess. Again, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but was it the brother of Tor Andre Flo? Whose name is? Well, he had a couple of them. Um, Only one played for Sheffield that... United. Oh, wow, so. Jostein Flo. Jostein Flo is absolutely correct, Liam. Oh. Well done. That is a, absolutely To be, to be fair, you deserve to win it for that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's one of the answers of the season. How old were you on... Uh, on the last day of the Four. 93-94 season? I know, five. Five, five okay, fair enough. Yeah, you should, you should, be, should have been fairly conversant in the career of Jostein Flo by the age of five. It's, it's Havard Flo that I was, uh, I was thinking about. <laughs> well, it was Jostein on that particular day, and that is enough to give you the win, Liam. Congratulations, that's a, that's a hell of a victory. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk about what the chaps are writing for Athletic subscribers to enjoy athletic.com slash Chelsea pod the place to go to sign up to read it all Simon you've penned a piece about Andreas Christensen yes <laughs> yes it was um difficult piece to write because he, he's obviously attracted a lot of negative attention um due to particularly not playing the FA Cup final but it was also just sort of reflecting mainly on sort of how we've We've got to the situation where he's ending on a on a sour note. Um, not just the way he's leaving, but why he's leaving. You know why this contract was never sorted out. You know one of the first pods we'd have done this season would have been us talking about Christensen being on the verge of signing a new deal, which he was. But one of the things that that was kind of misconstrued. Um, certainly by us at the time and has been misconstrued ever since is this kind of notion that the deal was done the deal was never done was never agreed um, and that has been kind of held against him and it, I've got a lot of sympathy for him I know there's a lot of fans that don't they're, they're sort of frustrated with you know perhaps sort of the fact he's not been available for certain games but not everyone knows the full story not everyone knows what goes on behind closed doors and I just think, it, as I sort of sum up the piece, I think it's best perhaps for all parties to move on now um, and to, and for people to sort of go, OK, you may not be happy with the way it's ended, but let, let, let's just not sort of forget that this is a guy that gave 10 years of his career to, to Chelsea, was part of the Champions League winning side. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right to have been disappointed with what's gone on, but, yeah, it's time to move on. 
Yeah, he's a player who leaves having won the Youth Cup, the Youth League, the Champions League, the Europa League, the Super Cup, the Club World Cup uh, and plenty more besides. Uh, so well done, Andreas, on a good Chelsea career. Uh, Liam, what have you got in the pipeline, please? So we've got the Clear Lake piece um, with Matt Slater. That's up on The Athletic now. Of course, my, my look at N'Golo Kante um, from the Leicester game. I'm off on a secret assignment, another one this weekend. Uh, from which there, there there should be a a piece coming from that early next week, and then beyond that, we Simon and I are both working on some takeover related or takeover adjacent projects. Listener, is that secret piece the uh, much requested Mal Donaghy in depth Chelsea career retrospective? Kennedy, we'll have to wait and <laughs> and find out. <laughs> or maybe Kennedy too. Uh, there's also a piece up now by Pablo Mara detailing Todd Bowley's attempts last autumn to purchase the Washington Sprint, their NWSL franchise in the United States. Athletic.com/slash/ChelseaPod, the place to go to sign up to read all of those articles and more. That'll do us for today though. We'll be back on Monday when we'll be looking back on that surely thrilling final day of this season as Watford visits Stamford Bridge. Until then, many thanks to Cyber, to Liam and to producer Lucy and to you for joining us too. We'll catch up with you on Monday. Bye for now. The Athletic.